it was hard in the beginning. I got so much bullshit. Like, niggas was like, shit just on my ass, like, just because... I was working with a gay nigga. Man, come on, bro. Let's talk about it, man. Talk about the fuck shit in the industry, bro. I done been strong-armed in deals. I done been strong-armed in the producer agreements. I'm going to tell y'all a crazy story that I ain't never told nobody. Matter of fact, I hit a producer up the other day. This is where this nigga fucked up, right? I'm big on relationships, but big on friendships, especially. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. First of all, I got this in my hand. It's a fly right here, so no woman's just leave it like that. But Crazy. like I said, today we got a new guest, man. We got Trey Tracks. What's up with you, bro? What's going on? What's going on? And we got JB with us. What's up, What's bro? Good game. So if you were OG Tween Producer Grind member, like two years ago, we did a video with Trey Tracks and T Will at Doppler Studios. Make sure y'all go check that out. If you're in the comments and you looking, uh, comment if you watch that video or not. But man, let's get into like, I don't know, man. Let's just start from the beginning for real. Like where you from? And how you got into music? So originally I'm from Bayshore, New York. It's on in Long Island. Um, got into music because my pops basically from the jump just had me doing music. He, he was a big um, manager back in the day, managing a couple acts in the '90s and everything. And then um, he had a studio in the crib all the time. Had me down there when he was making music. He eventually became a pastor, so I was in the church band and everything. So that's really how I got started. Just since I was a kid doing music. Period. Um, Started making beats because I wanted to be a rapper and I needed beats to make when I was a kid. So that's kind of how that came about. So <laughs> everybody started off like rapping and they just make beats. Oh, the crazy thing, my dad wasn't going like, like I said, he was a pastor. So like, <laughs> like I wasn't allowed to listen to hip hop till I was like 13. Like, so I had to listen to nothing but gospel until I was 13. And like, he made me like, he was like, nah, you can't rap like, you know, hip hop stuff. You got to be a Christian rapper. I'm like, man. <laughs> but, yeah, what's that like though? Like having those type of restrictions. Like, I mean, just with all the stuff going on, I definitely appreciate like coming up like that because like it keeps me grounded, you know. But like, it, it's it's real. Like, it, it's it's a lot because like even like, I had a show. I just got off tour and everything, so we just did a show. I was performing with Santana and everything, and like my dad and my mom pulled up to the show, so it's kind of weird. My parents are pastors, and they're watching me perform with like Santana and the things. You know, it was just like a little awkward, but they cool about it. They they support everything I do. So, so what you prefer, like Atlanta or New York? Music wise, Atlanta, right? Definitely, I feel like I made a great move coming down here because I just came down and just hit the gas and just got to straight to work type. But like, if I'm chilling, if I just want to kick it, like I'd rather be in New York, like eating nothing but pizza. Breakfast sandwiches, like, really on some New York shit, so. For sure. So, I mean, let's get into these credits real quick, man. You got hella songs of Saucy Santana, Material Girl, Walk, Up and Down, Back It Up, You Can't Kill Me, Trap Girl. Um, you got Legated, Light Skin Keisha, Mulatto. So, I mean, let's talk about the transition. Like, when did you start really, like, taking beats seriously? Um, I started taking beats seriously when I realized I couldn't rap hip-hop stuff. <laughs> so, like, at 12, like, I was just like, you know, I like this. And I started watching, like, Real cook-up videos, like the Ryan Leslie videos, like heavy. I was watching the Ryan Leslie hit videos. I was watching like Swiss Beats videos, just everybody cooking up, Jalil Beats. And I was just like, yo, they're dope. Like, matter of fact, one big one was Johnny Giuliano. I don't know Facts. if y'all yeah, yeah. know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, that nigga was the GOAT. Oh, like, God, his kids so, and everything. Yeah. And then even when he had like the voice box, the talk box and shit, like that nigga was fire. So I was just watching his videos coming up. And that just really inspired me. Like, okay, I can make some real dope shit. Like, I can make some fire shit. So I just kind of... Stuck with beats and just the more and more grew, grew, progressed, progressed, and then finally it started to hit. 
So you started it, uh, like Logic. I know you're a Logic producer. I started on FL, right? I started on FL, and then basically, I had I had to use the demo version. You know, on the demo version, you can't save it. So like, I would cook up the beat, I would bounce it down as is, and then like, that'd be it. So I finally transitioned over to Logic because. I went to school and at my school, they had like a studio in school and they, it was a music theory program and they taught me how to use Logic and GarageBand and everything there. So I just ended up buying a Mac that already had Logic on it. So that's how I got Logic because I wasn't going to buy the program. I'm 13, you know what I mean? So it's not. But yeah, that's how I got into Logic. So what would you prefer, Logic or FL? Like, come on, switch over. Logic. Switch back over. No, no, no. I can't do FL for me personally because I, I play, I like, I play piano for real. So it's like, I feel like, I can't do that in NFL. I'm gonna just be lazy and plug everything in. No, nah, yeah. fast though. Yeah. It's just gonna be quick and easy for me. To, like to me, FL is like a game to me. Kind of like just the way I just could play every plug everything in, draw everything in. Like I don't want to do that. I want to actually play it. You know what I mean? So that's why I'm cool with Logic. Are you more like hands on with drums too? Where like you're playing? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. That's hard. That's hard. So what was like musical influences at the time? Um, like I said, definitely like Jalil beats heavy on him. Um. Ryan Leslie, like I said, uh, Kanye for show, for show. Um, definitely Pharrell. Just I was really more so listening to beats more than music. Like I wasn't listening to rappers or nothing. I was just listening to beats that on YouTube and stuff like that. So when was that transition to like okay, I'm full time for the move to Atlanta? So I, when I was 16, I made this beat. Right, it's this beat called um, the song is called Juice by Lil Donald. Right, it's like some like um hit them folks type song. It was lit. So I got that place when I was like 17 and it was like when I was transitioning to college and like my dad was like, yo, you got to go to college. Like you're not just going to not go to college. So basically I picked to go to Georgia state and so that I'd be in Atlanta, I'd make music, I'd do whatever and also go to school. So everybody wins in that situation. So that's kind of how I just ended up down here. Damn. That's crazy. I did not know you produced that. That's crazy. I did that shit when I was 16 during lunch in school. It was wild. Just leave it over here. I pause in the interview. You know what I'm saying? We got it's Malia, right? You dead ass right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh bad, oh man. Is it Mila? Malia? Ma what is Mila's my middle name. Oh, I'm bad with names. Cut. Action. All right, listen, we got Malaysia <laughs> with us. Producer culture interviews, and she did the beat battle with uh Twisted, ain't that right? Yep. I don't produce it. I want to talk about time management. Okay. Like what's that like? I know a lot of producers, the challenge that they face is going to school or working a job and then still trying to make beats and also like network their brand out there. See, I don't, I don't know. Cause I ended up leaving Georgia state. Like my, the time management was the hardest part. Well, it wasn't even time management. It was more so like, yeah, it was time management, like priority, prioritizing what I wanted to do because I would sit there and go to mean street, sit there with DJ drama and Jeff Vaughn from Atlantic and then leave that session to go, back to my dorm to sit there and write an essay and I'm sitting here like, bro, I'm doing this, but you know what I mean? So it just kind of got to a point where it was just like, it just kind of was like, yo, like I'd rather be doing this. I might as well just go a hundred percent into this and just leave this alone for right now. Cause that's, that's not where it's at for me. That's a crazy place to go to school at and want to be an entrepreneur or want to be like an artist. Cause that shit is right. Smack dab in the middle yeah. of the city. But shit is fire though. It's fire though. Cause it's like, it's smack dab in the city, and then you also get, it's not like a, 
a traditional campus, you know what I mean? It's yeah. not so you can be all in the city mix and like fuck with all, all these promoters, all these artists, all these people that's doing X, Y, Z, you know what I mean? So it's not, I don't know. I feel like going to Georgia State really did help me in a way, but like I just couldn't do it all the way. Yeah, I went, I went, but I didn't last, I only went for like, for like, <laughs> what? I, I only went for like four months, bro. It was just, I couldn't stop going to, to Loud House. <laughs> <laughs> Now that's why. <laughs> I would be at the lighthouse and go to school the next morning too. But nah, I did, I want to say like three years. And then I, I hit a tour. I did my first tour and I came back. And I was just like, I sat in the class and I was just like, yeah, I can't do this shit. I walked right out and never came back. Okay, I was like that too, but I went to community college. I sat there. We were going on Snapchat and looking at all my niggas that got down, like ODU I'm from Virginia. I mean, I used to live in Virginia, so like ODU and shit. I was just like, oh, fuck it, bro. I walked <laughs> yeah. out of that shit so fast, bro. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. No can. <laughs> I was falling asleep in classes too, and that was the worst. Like, I was, it was bad, real bad. See, my grandma was a man, cause like I was terrible in high school, but like during college, I was actually like doing some shit. You feel me? I remember you just uh, turned out. You I just, just I love. <laughs> I remember sitting down, bro. This shit was crazy. I remember sitting down, right, and got them on Snapchat, looking all these niggas lit and shit, and then it was like this weird. You know how you got a nigga like, you like um you around somebody and all of a sudden like they add you on Snapchat, bro. Yeah. yeah. I right, I'm on Snapchat and I turn around. This nigga add me on Snapchat. I just look. I'm just seeing here. Nigga start walking in. He talking crazy. I'm just like, nah. What's the little office called? Financial aid office. Uh-huh. Yeah. Went over there. I said hi. I dropped my classes. She <laughs> said you just go online and drop. Sat in the car went on my phone. Dropped all the classes. See, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tell y'all a crazy story that I ain't never told nobody. Right, the person go. that made me drop out of school is Santana. Oh, my <laughs> Literally. God, bro. Oh, my God. Bro, I even said this to him the other day. Like, we joke about it now because obviously I turned out fine. But, nigga. So, I think it was, a, it was about to be spring semester. So, I'm sitting there about to sign up for my classes, right? I got to sign up for my classes by 5 p.m. or I'm done. I can't get in. Me and Santana are in the studio from 4 to 5, just sitting there having a meeting and talking. Mind you, the meeting didn't start until, like, probably, like, 5.30. So we just sitting there just kicking it with us, just talking shit and everything. So I'm, like, trying to do my classes at the same time. Just He's talking to me, stalling me. I'm, like, he's, like, Trey, fuck them classes. You're about to be Quincy Jones. What the fuck are you doing? Stalled me all the way up until fucking 5 p.m. Shit was over with after that. I never came back. I mean, if someone hype me up like that, say Quincy John, like, man. <laughs> Take the last talk, tossing that bitch. <laughs> yeah, and then shit, it turned out fine. So you was talking about tour. What, who did you go on tour with? My first tour, I went with Alex Iono and Trinidad Cardona. It was kind of like a pop tour. So that was my very first tour. I think it was like, I want to say 15 dates. It was cool. So how did that, like, get connected? How did you? I'm a very, like, I start with artists from the beginning type shit, so... Trinidad, I was with him. Trinidad was um a very early on project that um uh, my big bro City put me onto, and he just like attached me to him because he was signed to him or whatever. And um I just got involved with him, started producing him very early on, started working with him, built a relationship. So that's kind of how we just ended up going on tour together, like because I was already producing with him and he knew I DJ, so it just kind of worked type of thing. So so you like real real big on network? Oh yeah, for sure. I'm big on relationships but big on friendships especially because I don't I, I personally don't like to work with anybody that's not my friend like that's kind of how because it's it's more it hits different you know what I mean like me and Santana got a 
tight ass bond. Me and Lotto got a cool ass bond. Everybody I work with, we got cool ass bonds. Anne Marie, like we can actually kick it outside of doing music type shit. So that's um that's that's what's really big for me. So what are like red flags you see now that producers do when it comes to networking? Um shit, first of all, matter of fact, I hit a producer up the other day. This is where this nigga fucked up, right? <laughs> Off rip. Cause I'm, you know, I'm working with producers, trying to put producers on, get them in. I said, yo, and if you look at my page, you can tell, like, I do music and I actually do it. Like, I'm a producer. So I hit him up. I'm like, yo, send me a pack. Just for me to check out type shit. First thing this nigga says, what's your budget? Mind you, little nigga, like, no placement type of nobody type of shit. So I'm like, that's where you already fucked up. Because now I'm, I'm trying to put you on the money. And the first thing that you're thinking is money. Because I feel like if you go into just thinking money, 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 you're not going to build that longevity relationship that you want or that career that you want, you know what I mean? Because you're just going to be so money-hungry and focused on that and that only, you know? And it's more than that. So that's one thing that I think niggas fuck up at. Other than that, just trying to force relationships, like trying to be too cool, like... Facts, forcing mm-hmm. shit. A lot of niggas try to force shit. It's just like, bro... And it's, it's, it's not like... Sometimes you don't have to be like... Oh yeah, we locked in on like some friendship shit. Sometimes business relationships yeah, do work. Sure. You feel me? Yeah. But what I'm leading to is like for producers, I feel like, especially with beginner producers, I feel like it's a, like a blurred line between okay, do, how do I keep it business, but then at the same time, how do I decide I'm gonna go into this about the relationship and not about the money first? So how do you dictate the two? Like I know there's plenty of times where artists want to work with you and it's like okay, where's the money? And then there's times where, like Saucy Santana, where y'all build a relationship. I work with artists for certain, like, certain points. Like, um, I'll do, like, my one-offs just to see where it'll go, but it won't go that far. And, like, I've, I've been in those situations where I've tried to fuck with an artist like that. Personally, just for me, this is how I work. Like, I've tried to fuck with an artist just to work with that artist because they're X, Y, Z, and I can get this bag and, and then not go far. And the whole situation business-wise be fucked up. Like, so that's why I kind of just steer away from all of that kind of period because it's kind of, after having so many situations just go to shit, it's kind of like, all right, I'm going to just stick with what I'm good at, what I know. So that's kind of why I move like that. So what was the first relationship or, like, artist you started working with? Was it Lotto or Saucy Santana first? It was Lotto before that, and it was, like, Lotto and Light Skin Keisha. Light Skin Keisha? yeah. And, and uh, Coco Vango. Them three was, like, my very... They were probably, like, the first artists I knew down here when I came in 2015. So did you already, like, have your sound or, like, your idea how you want to make beats already established? Because I know, like, most of your placements, like, club out, something for the club. And all, honestly, nah, like, if if you really look at my catalog, because, like, my early on catalog, like I said, was, like, the Juice song. It was, um... I had shit with Doughboy. I had, like, trap shit, right? And I just... Personally, I make beats to specific artists. So I don't make beats to make my own sound. Like if you look, if you listen to like my shit with Santana and compare that to Anne Marie, it's two different things. She's an R and B singer, but it's like real, real R and B, and Santana's real club. Keisha's sound isn't even the same sound as Santana. Yes, they're kind of alike, but they're not the same sound. Or even with Lotto, like it's not the same sound as Santana. So I just cater to each and every artist in a different way. You always cook up like from scratch in their face. I started to recently. That's that's been my new thing recently because I just like to catch a vibe like then and there and we just start from there and build whatever everybody has the same vision at that point. You know what I mean? Like the whole drawing board is clear type shit. So 
So let's like break down the process of you making these songs. I know a lot of producers, they don't really see like the behind the scenes of what goes on in the studio. I kind of just, all right, so look, right? I don't really cook up beats. Like, you know how niggas be like, yo, I'm gonna make like 30 beats in one day. Like, I kind of cook up beats in like, okay, I'm cooking up for this purpose. I'm about to make this type of song. So I like, <laughs> shit is not fucking with me today. So like I said, like, I cook up for a certain purpose. So like, for instance, like walk. I'm laying in my bed, I'll just, I'm like, okay, they keep hitting me up, the label keeps hitting me up, yo, we need another big record, we need another big record, that's my focus, let me do something that's very catchy, da da da, so I'll just be chilling, this is one process, I'll be chilling, okay, let me start off with this sound, start off with the melody, cook up the melody, make sure that's catchy, then go to the bass, because the bass is really more important to me than anything, get the bass done, and... Then I'll just walk that shit over. Like, for instance, with Walk, I walked that over to a songwriter first and then brought it to Santana because I knew that I needed to make a hit rather than just a song. You know what I mean? So I was just very particular with that. Um, but if I'm cooking up live in front of somebody, probably we're going to have hookah, a bunch of tequila. I'm probably going to take, like, three shots before I start up, talk to them, see where they're trying to go, see what they're trying to do, the vision, then just get started straight from there. So you like that party vibe in the studio. It got to be turned. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like that's what makes a producer a producer. It's like, it's not just cooking up and just making beats. It's more so controlling the atmosphere. So everybody knows if you come around me, yo, we're going to be lit. Like, we're going to party or we're going to catch the right vibe that we need to catch because that's, that's more important than anything. You can't do a, a fucking club banger and you sad as a bitch. Like, that don't make no sense. You know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. You ever did some Ryan Leslie shit? Like, go out, go to the club, get turned and come yeah. back and then... That's how me and Santana work all the time. Like, literally all the time. That we'll go to the club first and then come come back to the studio and, and cook up whatever we need to do. But, yeah, that's the vibe. <laughs> For sure. What advice would you give to producers that are, like, introverts? Because that's, like, 70% of the producer community. Yeah, nah. One of my bros is, and me and my friends, we talking about that shit all the time. But, like, as far as, like, being introverts, I feel like you got to just find... You can still be that way and don't force yourself to come out and just do too much. But you just got to find your own lane, like, um, your own lane to, you know, just show, like, you cool, like, and show your personality in a way. And whether that's through TikTok, whether that's through Instagram or just moving certain ways. or. But I do think it's important to you to pop out on artists and fuck with them outside of the studio, though. Thanks. Buddha, be, uh, Buddha was real, like, heavy on that. Buddha, who else? Ivory. Every like, it was a lot of people yeah. that's real heavy on that type of stuff. I feel like a lot of producers come to Atlanta, don't really take advantage of that. Cause you got to think of it like it's not, it's no more like okay, I'm gonna communicate with you over Instagram. You could actually pop yeah. up on these folks, literally, literally. Yeah. you kicking it with them, and and then on top of that, like like I said, it goes back to building a relationship. Then you're more of a friend, so they gonna look out for you rather than you just a producer. You know what I mean? Like say, yo, this fucking advance didn't come in yet. You can hit them up direct. Yo, can you put, apply some pressure on this shit for me? Because, like, bro, this they taking too long. Okay, boom. They'll do that rather than just being some random producer that just sends them shit every now and then. And You know what I'm saying? So One thing I want to touch on was, like, what you had said earlier. Because I'm the same way, too, but I won't tell niggas this. Like, a lot of producers be like, bro, I done made 50 beats a day. You ask me, I'm going to be like, I don't make no fucking beats a day, nigga. You feel me? me like, I'm definitely a type. I make samples all day, you feel me, and send them out. But, like, I ain't really finna make no full beat until I got, like, a task. Like, nigga hit me, be like, here's a pack. I be like, all right, bet. I'm gonna go make the pack. So, look, right? I was like that before. But then one of my OGs sat me down. We was in a, 
what's that shit called? Um, uh, um, we was in some grocery store parking lot, right? And um, no, we was in Whole Foods parking lot. That's what it is. Whole Foods parking lot, chilling, talking. And he just basically was like, he just came out of nowhere and said, hey, bro, I'm not going to hold you. This shit is a hit game. It's not a song game. It's a hit game. Who got the best hit records? And it's like, you could make so many beats a day, but how many of them are actually hits? And there's always a chemistry, a, a recipe to making hits. You know what I mean? So after he said that, it was like, damn, so I could just be wasting my time just cooking up whatever. And mind you, at the same time, yeah, you might not know what's a hit, but for the most part, you know what's going to take off and you know a hit when you hear one. Like, So after he said that, I said, all right, bet. So I'm going to just focus on what is a hit, what makes a hit. If you really listen down to... Um, they put me, they stuck me in, um, Keys, the producer, you know what I'm talking about, A.O. and Keys? Nah, I'm not, not so, familiar. Big OG, right? So, we had taken some, um, some quick camp for some reason, and just, like, it was like a panel or whatever, and they just basically were like, yo, if you look at the top 40, pay attention to exactly how the instrumentals are breaking down, like, when it comes down to, like, the bass lines. The bass lines are kind of the most important part, as well as, like, having a catchy, like, um catchy um, uh, melody on top of everything, you know what I mean? And then even, like, how many changes are in the beat. So, like, I remember, I think his name is Max Martin. He only puts, like, three changes in the beat, and that's it. But he makes sure there's three drastic changes in the beat for everybody. So, like I said, there's a recipe to the hit. So after I figured that out, I was just like, all right, cool. Well, I'm going to just focus on making hits more than anything. I feel like producers, when it comes to making a hit, you're making a beat for an artist, and it's more simple. I feel like most of the time, the producer community, we make, we make beats to impress other producers. So how do you, like, make sure you're keeping it in, like, a vision of an actual artist being comfortable actually expressing themselves rather than it being, like, a cool sound that, like, okay, I'm showing it off to other producers? I mean, like, if you look at it like this, as a producer, you're the bus driver. You're going to get the, the, the song from destination A to destination B, right? And... How we get there is real important. So basically, um, the destination B being the listener's ears, you know what I mean? And the artist being the bus. So it doesn't matter for the next producer. I'm not impressing the next producer because the next producer isn't going to be streaming this every fucking day. The, next, the person that's going to be streaming it is the fans. So, and I know the artist is the way to get it to the fans. So you got to kind of like guide the artist. You know, I play things for like my homegirls. I play things for my bros. Like, Yo, what you think about this? If they fuck with it, then it's like, okay, cool. You as a listener fuck with it. So let me paint this picture to the artist. Like, yo, let's go like this. Because they trust you, obviously. If, if they're working with you, they trust your sound and everything. So paint it to the artist. Like, yo, let's go like this. Just carry out that vision and make sure it goes to where it needs to be. Man, we got IG Reels for days off of that clip. I can clip that bitch about 10 times and post it, nigga. But let's talk about the artist development. Because that's a lot of... Like, we really don't cover that too much, to be honest, now that I think about it. And you developed with Mulatto, and then also, like, Saucer Santana's going crazy right now. I was watching a vlog, um, and what was the university? I think it was Clark. Yeah. And it was, when like, the homecoming. Yeah. Saucer Santana had Listen, the, the, the hype, the hypest one. Like, him and Asian Dog was going crazy. I ain't gonna hold you. Santana, like, this, this is, when it comes to Santana, I'm very, like, big on it because, like, we started three years ago from nothing, right? Started three years ago from nothing, and we built this relationship to a point where, like, that's my brother. Like, 
I always credit him because he's like, I always say like he's the realest nigga I know because that nigga is solid as a bitch. Like everything aside, all the theatrics, like that nigga is solid as fuck. So one thing when it comes to Santana, I'm going to tell you right now, we about to make history with him. Like on some real shit, the shit that's about to drop, the shit that's coming next, the shit that we already done, like it's going to be pretty historic. And like, that's why I think it's so important to, you know, develop artists because like, that's some legendary ass shit that nobody can take away from you. And y'all locked in. Like, it's no yeah. if and buts. Y'all, y'all could goddamn disappear 30 years later, come out with some shit. Like, y'all locked in forever, you feel me? For sure. So, like, what's that? What would you say is a song, the first song that he's breaking through right now? So, we did Material. So, Material Girl was the first song we ever did. Like, ever. Ever. That I, first day I met him, first hour I met him, that was the first song we did. Didn't even know each other like that. I just got to the studio, coached him through, like, Putting the record together, that was probably like, I want to say it was probably his fifth song ever recorded, but his first song recorded in an actual studio with the actual producer and an actual engineer. So I got to coach him all the way through to, you know, getting that record to what it needed to be. And um, and basically that song, it did well. Like it hit a million streams, it hit a million views on YouTube, um, probably like first six months, which was cool. But out of nowhere, it just picked back up probably in like, what, just December of just now? And now it's hitting, like, I just checked this morning, it's 32 million on Spotify, like, just going up. The whole TikTok is going crazy. We got so many syncs on it. So that song just blew up out of nowhere. Didn't really even expect it. So are you doing anything, like, networking-wise to help the artists kind of? Yeah. Um, and, and that's that's uh, another thing. Like, I play, I wear so many hats. Like, when it comes to Santana, I wear a lot of hats. I down to like, I make the beats, I engineer, I DJ for him, I'm moving around, moving and shaking, plugging things for him, fucking even down to making the cover arts for his projects and everything. Like, I just wear so many hats so that when it comes to him, like, I have a lot to show. Like, niggas can't say that I didn't put in that work and make shit happen when it came to building this career with him, you know? So that that's, that's um I really forgot the question, but... That's really where I'm at with it. So what are like some like what are like the network tactics you think was most successful when it came to Santana success? Um, okay, so network tactics it was it's hard. It was hard because, you know, first off, we in the hip hop community and he's gay. That's not happening. Nobody's really done that to that extent. And I'm saying in our world where he's in Atlanta in the same clubs as Kevin Gates, Moneybag, Thomes Money at the same time. Like he's nobody's made it in that world yet, you know? So it was hard in the beginning. I got so much bullshit. Like, niggas was like, shit just on my ass, like, just because I was working with a gay nigga. You know what I mean? Like, but at the same time, I was, I was cool about it. I'm, I'm not gay. I'm, I have no problem. So why not work? Let's do this shit. You cool as fuck. You my brother's cool. Let's go. So I had to, like, really, like, show my ass and really, like, grind and show that, yo, we make good songs. We're making big records. We out here doing, like, like this for them to even be open to networking and fucking with us. You know what I mean? Like, but now it's getting to that point. Now, if you've seen the whole work that we put in this consistent drop, we dropped five projects in two years, like five full projects in two years at that. So now that they've seen the work, now they're like open to networking. And now it kind of made it easier for me to just like walk them through that door. That's how I usually go, man. Niggas, it's like, because a lot of times people on the outside, they see success and they think, Damn, he just started a year ago and got damn success popped up, but they don't see like the three, four years of that grinding when you was goddamn 
At 1,000 followers. In, I was in there. Yo, I was in the studio like 20 hours a day just working nonstop. Like, like I said, we did five projects back to back. That's probably like, I want to say 90 songs in two years. Mm. Was there ever a time where like you stepped in and kind of like fixed the picture a little bit? Like, I know a lot of times with producers, we have a hard time finding artists who actually really like passionate about what they want to do and have that work ethic. Was there ever a time where you had to go in there and like, you know, just straighten up Santana real quick? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like I'm a great middleman between Santana and the label. So I understand Santana's vision and I understand a label's vision. So I know where to meet in the middle so that it works for everybody type of thing. So I'll be able to like, like just communicate to Santana like, yo, we need to get this done, but let's do it this way so that you can feel comfortable and everybody can be happy type shit. So, um... And, you know, like, sometimes labels will kind of, like, f- try to force their way on um, artists and what they want them to do. And, you know, that's very frustrating at the same time. So um, I think as a producer, that's very key to, you know, a key trait to have. Well, this conversation, man, we're getting the behind the scenes of the whole thing. So let's switch over to Lotto. I don't know if we talked about it already, but, like, how did that relationship really? Um, so Lotto and I had the same attorney early on. Um, Jason, and um, we he introduced us in the studio like 2015, I want to say, and she was like, I want to say 17, no, no, either 16 or 17, and I was 18, and we met in the studio, first thing I did was play her some beats, she fucked with me off the beats, fucked me off the vibe, and ever since then, we just kind of like built our friendship, and got to a point where it's like more friendship than working, you know what I mean? Which is really cool. And um, yeah, so now it's like, uh, uh, with Lotto, it's like any support she needs, got her. Any support I need, she got me. Like, it's one of those type of things. Same thing with any of the other artists I work with too. That's hard. Man. Okay, this shit random as hell, but like, what, what XSL freshman joint she was on? What year? Two years ago. 2020? Yeah. That freestyle was hard as a bitch, Yeah. Bro. I knew about Lotto before then, but like, nah, my dog hard. Listen, I remember me and Lotto used to have conversations back in the day. Like, I say back in the day, like we old as shit. Nah, but like we used to have conversations. Like, I I was telling like, yo, you about to be on their ass because I I I don't heard this girl really rap like, and really spit like Lotto is one of them ones. She gonna be one of them ones for sure, and everybody gonna see you very soon. I've been watching Lotto f- since she was like. Young, do- young, up, young doing that shit, you feel <laughs> me? Like, this shit okay. crazy to see how transformed. But like, nah, my dog hard. Sure. I was gonna ask you this, like, you got a strong internet presence. Like, your social media lit as fuck to the point where it's like, you're a producer, but it's down to like an artist level. So what's some steps that up and coming artists can take to like, get this professional look as a producer or artist? Cause remember you talk about like the DMs and somebody's trying to, hey man, they're trying to charge you. But when you look at them, you look at the brand, it's like, I don't see shit. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm very big on quality. I'm very big on staying exclusive and just making sure, because branding is everything. Like, if your brand don't look right, then niggas not going to pay you what you think you're worth. So I'm very big on, on, on branding and making sure that my image or down to this picture or down to this content that we post or shit down to whatever I post on story, even though it's 24 hours, like, I don't care. Like, I'm going to be very particular on it because you, you show people what you want them to see and whatever you want them to see is what's going to stick with them. So 
you just have to be very key on what image you're trying to portray and what crowd you're trying to attract at the same time. How important is it to have like a high confidence level? I can tell by a conversation, your confidence is very high. I feel like producers, well, you, know how to, you know how niggas it is, man. Nah, I mean, it's definitely, you got to have that confidence because if you don't think you the shit, why is somebody else going to think you the shit? Ooh, I got another real. <laughs> <laughs> nah, for real, like, if you don't think you that nigga, why would I think you that nigga? Nah, this facts, though. That shit don't make no sense. So it's like, you got to come into this, especially in the, the world that we live in, we make, we make product to be liked. If our product's not liked, we're not going to eat. So it's like, I have to be confident about my shit so that somebody else can be confident about my shit and get to a point where I'm eating off this shit, you know? I think ego's in the, ego is big in this, this era with the youth, you feel me? So we really don't really... Somebody told me, they said, if you're creating something for everybody, that's for nobody. Like, you have a target audience, you know what I'm saying? So I feel like in this community, we'd be like, I want everybody to love me. I want everybody to fuck with this, or they're going to fuck with this because... I ain't like that. Honestly, I'm more so... I want everybody that's going to fuck with me to fuck with me. I don't care if you don't fuck with me. Like, I'm very... One of the key things, good things about me, like, that I take pride in is that I can put my pride aside and do whatever. Like, I can put my pride aside to work with a gay nigga and turn him up and we go crazy and do some legendary-ass shit. Like, a lot of people ain't like that. There's a lot of producers that could have came in. That's why I do 95% of his shit. A lot of people could have came in, but they was just holding nuts because of that. And that's what really stops people from doing a lot of shit. Like, your pride gonna get in the way. Your ego gonna get in the way. If you could put that on the back burner, especially especially knowing what you're trying to accomplish, like, most of the time, the artist is gonna have the ego. And sometimes you just gonna have to take the back seat and just chill and just let them be who they are. Let them talk shit to you. Let them do whatever. And but at the end of the day, you gonna get to X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? Man, come on, bro. Let's talk about it, man. Talk about the fuck shit in the industry, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about some bullshit. <laughs> we gotta get toxic one some, time. <laughs> some situations, man. What's going on? Some situations. I mean, shit. I done been. My first situation was some fuck shit. Shit. I'm in some fuck shit right now, honestly. Ooh. But I'm in some real fuck shit. Like, trying to talk about ooh, it. I'm trying to. I'm trying to figure out which one. <laughs> I can start with the, I done been strong-armed in deals. I done been strong-armed in the producer agreements. Shit, like, you just got to pay attention. I just, one thing I'm going to say is being young, you got to also think of the bigger picture. Just because you're young and you just see dollar signs, don't jump at it. That's, that's, that's big. Like, I was young, jumped at some shit, and it turned out, I did fine because I just don't, I'm the type of nigga that's going to work his ass off, but I jumped at some shit that in the long run kind of fucked me over type of shit. So that's one thing. Be, when you're young, listen to other people and just really try to understand everything that you're getting into so that you just don't get fucked over, you know? Give a little bit of detail. You mean like a a deal? Yeah, like a deal. Like I, I was putting a deal that kind of like in the long run, didn't put me in the situation that I needed to be in. Kind of is it kind of held me back, but I could still like just from the work ethic that I have, I'm still great in it. But I could be doing so much more that I wish I was already doing. But so talk about like the imprint deal that you got. Is it track season? Yep, definitely. Um, so I went went and um launched my own company, Track Season, because I was already developing a bunch of artists. So I was like, why not develop them for myself? Type of thing. So. I went ahead and just started my own situation. I got my R&B queen, Micaiah, 
And then I got my pop princess, um, Yasmin Bateman, who I'm just working on now. I already released one with Micaiah. Um, about to get the rest of them going. And um, just going to build a dope, legendary team because I just want to... To me, I'm big on doing something legendary. I want to do something that's remembered. I want to do something that's going... You know, I look back 20 years from now, tell my kids, like, yeah, I'm really that nigga. Like, don't sleep on me type shit, you know? So um, that's what I'm big on. I'm trying to build a legendary-ass team, whether it's uh, producers, rappers, artists, just do what I was doing already just for myself type of thing. So. It's always essential to have a team. I feel like at one, at like a certain point in your path, it's not going to be like you solo dolo forever. You got to think about LeBron James. Like, you got LeBron James, you think one person. They got a whole brand. Same thing with Metro Boomin. No he got a whole brand. He probably got a PR, thousands of managers, you know what I'm saying? Lawyers, even I mean, producers. Like that's that's key. You can't do none of this shit on your own. And don't think that you can, because you can't. Like, you cannot do none of this shit on your own. You need the help of other people. And don't be scared to ask for help from other people, because there's people out there that are willing to help you out. You just have to be vocal. Don't let, man, don't let these famous niggas lie to you, man. Please, <laughs> stop letting these famous niggas, niggas lie to you, Niggas ain't do it man. on their own, Please. for sure. It's not... <laughs> It's not just one way. You're not going to be the only, the one-man army. Don't let these niggas lie to you, man. So let's talk about these crazy stories, man. We've been asking the last, like, two, three interviews. What's a crazy story that you got on tour? Yeah. Crazy so far, story on tour? I feel like Turbo. Turbo had the craziest one. I can't lie to you. That's now, Tragic was still crazy. Tragic? Yeah, he got shot at the studio. <laughs> wow. <laughs> What's some crazy shit that happened on tour? Shit, I bus breaking down. In the middle of Kansas. I think I seen that video. Yeah. 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 Our bus breaking down. That just that's the one that could just pop off the top of my head. Our bus breaking down in the middle of Kansas. Like nowhere Kansas, like cornfields and weeds <laughs> and shit. Yo, it's me and Santana and Mitch, right? And we just on this bus and it breaks down. It, it broke down like five times till it completely was just like, yeah, we gotta figure this thing out. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, hey, let's get off this bus, right? So we get off the bus. We go ahead and make our TikTok where Santana's, like, calling for people or whatever. And then we get back on the bus and we're like, damn, we really stranded right now. Like, this is real life. Like, this bus really broke down on us. So we're sitting there waiting around trying to figure out what we about to do because I think we were driving to Oklahoma City and we need to be there. But um, so we're on our way to Oklahoma City or whatever and <laughs> we stop in Kansas. So we get a holiday in. Mind you, we just probably... Niggas got high on the bus, and we just, like, you know, just chilling, trying to bullshit just to make light of the situation. And then, mind you, we're in Kansas. Racist-ass Kansas, right? So the only thing near us is uh, Applebee's. So we walk over to the Applebee's. Mind you, it's just five of us. It's, uh, it's Santana, Mitch, me, um, Toys, and a security guard, um, June. <laughs> we all niggas. <laughs> like, yeah. we yeah. all niggas, and niggas smell like weed. So... We walk in this Applebee's completely just whiter than white. So we just looking at everybody staring at us. Bro, we're like, yo, we in the wrong place right now. But it's the only thing we can eat. So we like, all right, let's go ahead and do it. So the first, uh, what is it, the host or whatever? The host just being a dick to us off rip. Like, y'all sure y'all want to eat here? Like, oh, yeah. Like, looking at us like, are y'all serious right now? So the, the worst part about my friend Santana, right? Worst part about this nigga is that he's an asshole. Like, <laughs> he loves making shit like a joke, right? He doesn't, we don't take shit serious, like nothing at all. So I'm in there like, 
bro, it's all these white people looking at us. Like, we crazy as hell, like, for coming in, coming in here. He's just like, so? He's just making it a big deal, calling the waitress all types of, like, just calling her random names, like Ashley, Yaz, or um, Nicole, like, just making fun of it and everything. And she's just looking at us, giving us a hard time. Like, that was probably the most awkwardest situation I had on tour. One of the most awkwardest. The other ones I can't talk about. Shit was pretty fucked up. I walked into a racist restaurant one time, bro. I was in Charlotte. I'm thinking I'm in the city. I'm on, like, the county of Charlotte. And we had stopped and went into, like, it was, like, it's called Pork Some. And we walked up in there. I seen that Confederate flag. I felt the energy, gang. <laughs> I was like, <sighs> we sat down. We was in there for, like, 15 minutes before we got up. I was like, nah, bro. And I feel like they was on a suspect shit because they left the, the, the tip from the on the table that was there before us sitting at the table I was like I guess they want us to touch it see if we gonna touch the tip or something oh, they done wow, baited nah. our ass <laughs> <laughs> that was some wild shit though uh, yeah, I, I always remember that trip that shit was wild so talk about DJing like that experience what's that like okay so I was actually DJing since high school type shit so um, I was the one throwing all the parties the big backyard parties and everything having like 500 kids come through and, and shit um, so I just carried that over to when I went to Georgia State and I was DJing in dorms at kickbacks, just start getting started like that. And then I met my friend Kari and my bro B-Rod and they were promoters. So they plugged me into the clubs. They put me in the clubs and I just started DJing in the clubs. I started, um, what was one of the first clubs? Like Mansion Elon, um, Opera, like back old Atlanta clubs. Like, so I was DJing there and then, um, you know, I was still producing at the same time, but the DJ money was the thing that was helping me eat and pay what I needed to pay. So um, I still had the artists with me, whether it was like Keisha, Lotto, Coca. So when they started to go up and they needed a DJ, that's kind of when I started to transition over to like doing the festivals and doing the tours and doing the big shows and everything. But um, I enjoy DJing because it's like an outlet for my production. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of fine to go to a club and literally do a, a whole set of shit that you produced in the studio, you know what I mean? Or even do a show and they're saying it word for word of shit that you produced in the studio. It's kind of, it hits real different, you know what I mean? Yeah, I've seen some of your IG videos with you and Lotto. Shit's a little lit, I ain't gonna count. And uh, the shows be dope, real dope. I be having a ball. <laughs> but you don't never like be on stage and just look at the artist and be like, damn, there's a lot of motherfuckers in here. Yo, so look, matter of fact, I had a full circle moment, right? So on tour, there's this, there's this venue called the Fillmore in um, Silver Springs, right? It's a big, uh, it's like 1,500 people, 2,500 2, probably, right? So I had played there three years earlier with Keisha, right? And I had gotten on stage and I do like this drop where I say something like, um, if you came here with your squad, let me say squad. And I was so nervous the first time I did it three years ago that I fumbled the words, right? And I just mumbled the whole shit in front of everybody. And they all turned around and looked at me crazy as fuck. And I never forgot that moment, right? So fast forward to doing the tour, I hit the same stage and just killed that shit. Because that was like my biggest thing. It was like, yo, I don't want to fuck up and here. And they were practicing that <laughs> shit. <laughs> I don't want to fuck up here ever again. Yeah, but nah, yeah. that show was probably, the, D, uh, the Silver Spring show was probably the most lit show to me, actually. So I was real proud about that shit. It was a good comeback, you know? <laughs> but I'm pretty sure we got some DJs watching. So what are like some red flags, man? Don't fuck up. The computer cannot go off. <laughs> yo, listen, nigga, no. Matter of fact, yo, I got so many toy stories. So I produce and DJ off the same laptop. You know how people have multiple laptops, but I produce and DJ off the same laptop. So Pro Tools is on there, Logic's on there, and so is Serato. So 
I'm getting to that point where I ain't got no more storage. Like, my shit begging to breathe type shit, you know? <laughs> like, nigga. So, <laughs> I was, I think we was in Boston, right? And I'm DJing. I'm in the middle of Santana set. <laughs> and I'm looking at the, the wave file and I'm like, wait, why is this shit shorter than usual? That don't make no sense. What the fuck? And then it cuts off, right? Santana looks at me like, what the fuck? I just put the bombs, clean it up real quick. Cool, cool, cool. So then, <laughs> then um, we do another song. I load it up. Same shit happens, right? But this time, instead of it, the ending being, um, like say it's a, a two minute song, it'll stop at 50 seconds. And that last 50 seconds will be the whole rest of the song sped up. So it'll sound like, like, yo, it was the weirdest shit. So I'm sitting there like, yo, what the fuck is going on with my laptop? Like, I'm losing my shit. So then basically, like, it's because I didn't have no storage. So it just started fucking up all the files and everything on my laptop. So definitely check your storage before you get on that bitch. I swear to God. Yeah, man. Hell yeah, DJs, I mean, with DJs, don't be too cool. I feel like everybody, just don't be too cool. Because you don't never know who's who. And you don't want to, like, shit on somebody that's later down the line going to be somebody you need to fuck with. You don't never want to be that nigga that, oh, DJ for Biggie. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! He said, "What the fuck?" He threw the mic at that nigga. He said, "Threw the mic at that nigga." That nigga was still sitting there like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah nah, bro." Yeah, nah. So I mean, we got a segment called "Overrated, Underrated." We give a topic, and you just say which one it is and, and why. So clubs in Atlanta. Um, me personally, overrated, but I feel like for somebody outside, underrated, and because I mean, I've been in clubs since I was like. 17 when I'm not allowed to be in clubs type shit, you know? So I'm just used to it. I know everybody in the club. I already, all the promoters, everything cool. But for somebody outside of Atlanta, I definitely think it would be like an experience like you'd enjoy. <laughs> What's the best way to get over a hangover, bro? I just see, some, I just see sometimes you was kind of fucked up on IG. <laughs> Yo, I drink for real. <laughs> like, I drink for real. Real rock star shit. But nah, I mean, with me, like, Shit, that's why I'm talking slow today. Like, <laughs> <laughs> on me, that's why I'm blanking out right now. Now, um, I have to take the next, like, day, the next morning. First off, if you don't take um a goodies powder before you drink, that that's the key. If you take a goodies powder before you really drink, you're not going to, it's not going to be as bad, I'll say. It's like some headache powder type shit. It tastes disgusting, though. But um, that shit works. But then also, like, the next day, I'm just down in bottles of water, like, non-stop just within one hour if I just drink so much water and just you know keep peeing it out and everything I'm good to go so and eating I'm gonna get a pub sub the next day for show yeah oh yeah pub subs for show I ain't never gonna forget like the first time I got drunk drunk and fuck bro it shit was like 2014 ninth grade <laughs> I you drove a Ford Loco, nigga. A Ford Loco, you sick. I was here to the... I'm from, I'm from the nigga, I was living in Virginia in the country, <laughs> nigga, so... <laughs> we in the car drinking that shit. Everybody got their own bottle. It was my first time drinking it, though. They know nothing about no Ford Loco, nigga. So I'm jugging that bit like Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> nigga, we stopped at motherfucking Jack's at this gas station. I'm like, man, I'm good. This shit ain't do shit. I get out that motherfucking car. When you stood up, that's what it is. <laughs> that I go straight down, bro. But I remember throwing up at the party. Falling out in the deer with the car. In the deer. I skipped, I skipped that whole, like, you know, that young, um, because I didn't drink my first drink until I was, like, 22. Same. On my birthday. Same. My 21st birthday, first time I had a drink. Yo, my 22nd, because I, I was big on, like, I ain't smoke, I ain't drink. I ain't, at that time, I ain't curse. Like, I was, Damn. like, really church boy type shit, you know? But that weekend I had did, um, 
I had did Rolling Loud with Lotto and Coca. I had, it was my birthday, and then I had opened up for Cardi B. Oh, yeah, you lit. So when I did that shit and killed it. Oh, yeah, you got to celebrate. I went, I went home. I said, I bet. Let's do it. <laughs> but. <laughs> Best out of drink when you know you ain't got shit going on for the next three days. <laughs> oh, God. All right, so overrated, underrated. I, I'm pretty sure we know the answer to this one, but torn. Both. Both? It's a lot. It's like. All right, everybody's thinking, oh, my God, like, y'all about to be on tour. Y'all about to be so lit, but they don't see the actual. I mean, I personally don't enjoy the process of traveling, like the actual laying in the, the bunks and everything and having to, like, not get regular sleep and having to eat bullshit all the time. Like, that shit, like, really takes a toll on your body. Like, it's, it's a lot. It's draining. But it's cool at the same time. Touring's lit because... Once you get to that motherfucker and you hit the stage and you go to the clubs and you, in the hotels, like, everything's fine, everything's cool, but then that whole process of just waking up, it's like, ugh, I don't feel like doing this every day back to back to back to back to back. It's like, yeah. So they're probably a dumbass question, but, like, why do they do, like, the tour bus? Like, why they just don't get on flight to flight to flight? Because that shit expensive as hell. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> shit expensive as hell. flights for, like, 20 years? Literally. Damn. Damn, man. So y'all niggas just be on 10-hour bus drive to the next city. Literally. Every single day. You'll get... Say you, you'll wake up, bus leaves at, like... Bus will leave at, like, 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Drive. You'll be on the bus, in the bunk, sleep. Might stop, get some gas, get some quick food. Hit the road again. You'll get to the next city um, at, like, 2 p.m., you got sound check at three. So you can't really do anything. You just go up to the room, drop off your bags, take a quick shower, go hit the sound check, do sound check, go back to the hotel, kick shit for a little, but you got to get ready for the show because the show's going to start. Doors open at six. Come back to the show, do the show, get off stage at 11, and then after party at like 12.30. Get out of the after party at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m., you're on the bus. Ooh, that's burnout. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And you doing that three, four days in a row, then you get one break, and then doing it again three, four days in a row, getting a one break, like, it's a lot. So kind of, like, walk me through, like, I know this might be dumb, but I don't really know nothing about DJing. So, like, are you, are you on the software when you DJ? Yeah, um, it's called Serato. Serato Sample? Nah, nah, nah. It's, it's, so it's the same company that makes that. So that's why they made it is because, like, on Serato, it's, like, really a DJ type of thing, so... Serato's the software. I use Serato for everything. I keep my songs in my iTunes on Serato and everything. Um, and it's not that hard to understand. Like, I feel like, honestly, it's easier for producers to become DJs because you understand beats and you understand rhythms and you understand, like, because as, as a DJ, you're watching wave files all day and you're watching counts and beats and just keeping the rhythm of the party. You know what I mean? So, um... If you understand that, it's easier to become a DJ than a DJ becoming a producer. I fuck with it, bro. I don't think I could DJ. I don't be real, bro. It takes a lot, though. I got a social media, bro. Once that bit done, <laughs> it done. Oh, God. Yeah, because yeah, hey. you got to deal with people all damn day. Hey, I feel you. So last, artist development, overrated, underrated? I feel like it's underrated as fuck. I feel like niggas is just sleep. Like, they just chase the next placement or XYZ placement rather than... Like, if you think about it, like, think about the greats, right? You think about um, Quincy. He, he's known for developing fucking Michael. Well, really not developing, but like really building him into ex who he is. You know what I'm saying? Or um, who else is a good one? Um, uh, like when Timbaland and uh, JT linked up. 
you can never take that from him. Or like Kanye and Jay, like not to say that he developed Jay, but he grew with Jay to XYZ point to get him there, you know? And um, I just feel like that's more, um, that's some shit that producers aren't really trying to do or pay attention to because that that's that's what a career is, you know what I mean? Like that's some shit you look back at and be like, yo, that nigga's a legend, you know? All right, so I'm going to give you a scenario play. I'm a producer. I just moved to Atlanta today. What's my playbook? Uh, you just moved to Atlanta. Go get a, a Hellcat, a Charger. <laughs> go get you a Charger. Hey, how many producers in Atlanta? You know, I moved. I moved. Yeah, I moved to Atlanta May last year. Two days later, I got my Charger. <laughs> <laughs> See, I got the Charger the next day. Nigga. Yeah, nah. crazy. See, I, I tried to go. I tried to be cooler and go AMG instead of going. That's my next joint, though. I'm trying to do. Oh yeah, for sure. Love the AMG. AMG cool. Yeah. For sure, yeah. My babysitting right outside. But, um, nah, if you're in Atlanta and you're a producer, I would just more so fuck with the ones that are coming up. Start looking on Instagram to who's bubbling, who's hot, who's kind of fi. Try to find your way to getting around in the studio, whether it's interning or just getting cool with niggas that know niggas. Because I feel like in Atlanta, it's so easy to network because everybody knows some fucking body. You know what I mean? Or somebody's doing something, you know? So, and and also, I feel like, you know how they say Atlanta's black Hollywood? I feel like with black people, they, down here specifically, that they're more willing to put niggas on and fuck with niggas, you know, just, just to fuck with niggas type shit. So it just be vocal. Just be like, yo, I do X, Y, Z, because you never know who you're going to run into. You never know who you're going to fuck with and who's going to fuck with you. So, um, yeah, that's really first. First and foremost is just be on IG, figure out who's who, figure out what's what, what's going on, what's the next thing rather than what's popping now. Cause that's gonna set you right, so. Man, I, I want to say one thing. I, I want to say just get your skills up, man. You know what I'm saying? Cause you want to get your money up, not your funny up. You know what I'm saying? On me. But shit, I mean, that pretty much a wrap, man. I see you got down trade tracks in the club, man. Make sure I got down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come take a shot, with me, my boy. You know what I'm saying? Well, that was me and say this a wrap, man. We see you on the next episode. We gone.